0: Welcome back into to a brand new episode of Dimming the Gaslight. My name is Mac, and thanks for coming in for this newest episode. So uh, I hope you guys got the answers you were looking for and you enjoyed last week's episode with my lawyer, Brittany, um, recapping my second court date for my temporary restraining order. Um, if you went back and listened to that episode, man, my necks perjured herself like
1: crazy,
0: um, under oath. You know, she swore to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, and she lied her ass off. So, um, I brought my lawyer Brittany Parisi from Parisi Law Firm in New Jersey um on the episode to recap it with me. And you guys heard it firsthand from my legal representation. What the fuck she's doing to me. It's madness, but I'll tell you what. Um Brittany has treated me so well, like a friend, and the way she has internalized this story, I have the utmost faith in her. Um, so, my next did something kind of crazy this week to me, and I'm getting to a point with this, but um, I'll just tell you a quick story, okay? On my birthday, which was a couple weeks ago, I took my kids to a monster truck show, okay? My, my next gave my son noise-canceling headphones, To, you know, bring to the monster truck show because it's loud. So about five times I heard from my son, Daddy, we need these noise canceling headphones back. We need these headphones back. We need these headphones back. I said, "Okay." So I said, I understand. Please stop because I just know it's his mother's voice coming through him. You know, we go to the monster trucks. We have a great time and it's awesome. Right. So later that night, I take the headphones and I put them in a Ziploc bag and I put them on top of the backpack that he's going home with. And I say, buddy, look, your headphones are in your bag, right? So I give him a kiss. They go home. All is good. The next week, they come out of the car going, Daddy, you didn't give us our headphones back. I said, are you fucking kidding me? I said, yes, I did. I showed you. I put them on top of your backpack. And they go, no, mommy said you didn't give them back. And I was like, are you kidding me? They're like, Daddy, you didn't give them back to me. I was like, Oh my god. So I go, All right, listen, we're on our way to my apartment right now. I said, what I want you guys to do is come in my apartment and tear it the fuck up. Throw everything on the floor, rip it apart, and look for your headphones. Because there's three rooms in my apartment, okay? There's ten rooms in your home. So what I want you to do is, I want you to come into my apartment, rip it apart, and you won't find your headphones. But when you're done with my place, I want you to go home and I want you to tear your home apart and look for the headphones. okay? and I said, don't even tell mommy what you're doing. I said, but go look for those headphones. okay? and I asked them, I said, if you were to find the headphones in your home, how would you feel about that? And the kids are like, I'd be mad or I'd be sad or whatever. And I was like, yeah, guys, I'm like, it's not here. All I can tell you is, you know, the truth and your headphones are not here. So, um, my next is now gaslighting my children. So one more story for you. Um, so my kids are in therapy, right? And so I'm still doing my weekly FaceTime calls with the kids biweekly actually. And, um, I, uh, okay. So I've been reaching out to the kids therapist since September when this restraining order happened, we're now at the time of this recording, it's in February. I've been reaching out to her t- since September, trying to get some in, you know, insight into how my kids therapy is going and I have not heard back from my kids therapists since September So i'm doing a call with my kids and they go. Oh, we just came back from the therapist and I go. Oh, how did it go? And my son goes good and I was like, how do you feel and he's like good and I was like, did you talk about your feelings? He's like, no, and I was like, what'd you do? He's like, we just played And I'm like, okay, well, do you feel happy? And he goes, yeah. And I go, do you feel sad? He goes, no. I said, do you feel angry? He's like, no. He's like, do you feel bad? He's like, no. I was like, how do you feel? He goes, happy. I go, okay, great. So at that time, I hear my necks in the background going, don't tell him. It's your secret. Don't tell him. And um, my son goes, yeah, daddy, I can't tell you. And I was like, can't tell me what? He's like, about how it goes. And I'm like, why not? And she goes, it's your secret. You can't tell anybody. It's your secret. And I'm like, what's the secret? So he's like, I just can't talk about it. He jumps off the chair. He gets off a of FaceTime and I hear her. I have it on recording saying, um, listen, it's a secret between you and your therapist. She's telling my son. She goes, mommy doesn't know. Daddy doesn't know. Nobody knows anything. And I was like, that's a red flag. So Again, I texted the therapist and I said, may I ask why I'm not getting updates on my son? Finally, the therapist responds to me for the first time since September. Keep in mind, we're in February now. And she says, because you're no longer bringing the children to therapy, I don't need to update you. And I was like, what? Excuse me? So I wrote back. I was like, I am the legal guardian of my six-year-old. I said, You do have to update me. And she's like... She writes back like, no, I don't. And I'm like, what the fuck? So I said I'm not asking for like every single thing the kid says. I just want to know like what can I do to help him as his dad? What can I do to like help him like what is what is the diagnosis like what can I do I want to know about my six-year-old in therapy and she writes back she says he needs more help than I can provide for his trauma his CTPS no his PTSD and the domestic violence he's witnessed and I wrote back he has not witnessed domestic violence and she wrote back to me you're now updated I was like are you kidding me? Oh, and she also said she's looking into finding him a new therapist that can help him with his specific issues. I was like, well, I need to be included in that. I am his legal guardian. So all that to say, my next has gotten to the children's therapist and I talked to my lawyer and uh, I'm not going to talk about exactly what I'm going to do about it, but don't worry. We're going to get to the bottom of this. And uh, yeah, there's going to be repercussions for this. Um, all that to say, Brittany has been great to me. Brittany Parisi has been amazing to me. Um, she's treated me like a friend, and I have the utmost faith in her. But what I will say is, you know, I still do have the GoFundMe page. If you go to GoFundMe.com and search for Dimming the Gaslight, I am on there. You know, um, legal representation is not free, guys. It is, I am struggling to make ends meet, but... Um, but I do have everything I need. I just need to be able to put it on to save my kids, you know, to save them from this evil narcissistic monster. Okay. So, um, if you can, I would really appreciate if you can help. Um, but yeah, I, I have everything I need guys. And, uh, I'm just really, really excited to start moving this along. Um, one last thing. So, the judge told us, as well as her legal representation, that we need to exchange evidence seven days after the last trial, which was this week. So I am now in possession of all of my nexus evidence, and it's a fucking joke. It's a joke. She's got nothing on me, okay? She's got me yelling and screaming, and I've talked about that on the podcast, but she doesn't have anything on me. But now she's going to have my evidence, Okay? And my evidence, which is black and white facts, videos, recording, text messages, all to prove that she lied and perjured herself on the stand, that holds much more weight than, you know, her testimony. So I talked with Brittany, you know, my lawyer this week, and she said, her words, we're going to annihilate them in court. We are going to annihilate them. Um, so I'm very excited. You know, I I needed to get these stories off my chest before I bring in this next interview. Um, But this is a cool interview that's coming in. So I was able to get in touch with a clinical psychologist from the UK who specializes in narcissism. And she treats both people with narcissistic personality disorder as well as people who have been victims of narcissistic personality disorder. Um, So we have a great conversation and I really think you guys are going to enjoy this one. So uh, check it out. All right, everybody, welcome back into a brand new episode of Dimming the Gaslight. So I am here with a super interesting guest. I'm here with Dr. Ruth Harper. Dr. Ruth, say hi. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, welcome to the show. So Dr. Ruth is a clinical psychologist out of the UK, and she and I connected because we're mutual followers of Jacob and Tess, the self-aware narcissist who have been on the show. And Dr. Ruth and I connected and she was telling me about how she's a clinical psychologist out of the UK who specializes in narcissistic abuse. But not only does she specialize in it, she works with both victims and diagnosed narcissists in their recovery process. So she and I got to talking and I was like, this is an episode I got to do. So I'm so glad that you're here.
1: Oh, I'm so glad to be here. (laughs) So tell for me that. about how you
0: got into this role as a clinical psychologist that is specializing in narcissistic abuse.
1: Well, I, I specialize in issues of narcissism. So it's not all abuse. You know, there's such a spectrum of behavior and there's such a spectrum of hurtful behavior in relationships and relationship damaging behavior. So it's more of a spectrum, I think, than, you know, I think the whole internet is so focused on, the abuse that can stem from narcissism and not all abuse stems from narcissism. There's other things that can contribute. So I, I probably take a slightly broader picture than that, but how did I end up specializing, specializing in narcissism? I mean, I don't really know. I kind of fell into it. <laughs> you know, I worked for a long time. I worked in
0: narcissism, unfortunately.
1: <laughs> well, you know, I worked for a long time in the UK's national health service and then I was in private practice and I I like working with cluster B personality disorders. Mm. Those have always been the population I've been at my best as a therapist with. What we'll draws you to cluster
0: B personality disorder? What what is what do you mean by the, you like that?
1: Okay, so clus- so cluster B personality disorders are the, they're called the dramatic and erratic category. So it's borderline personality disorder, histrionic personality disorder, narcissistic personality disorder, antisocial personality disorder, which I don't have so much experience of. And I I just like that client group there. I find them really engaging. It's very emotionally driven work. It's lots of, you know, there's a lot of childhood trauma. There's a lot of interpersonal challenges and I I personally find them a very rewarding group to work with. And for me as well, I'm someone who likes to have a finger in lots of pies. Mm. And when you work with this population, you have to kind of, you have to be good at working with this population, but you also have to be really good at other things too. You have to be a little bit of a jack of all trades and have to be able to deal with mood stuff and interpersonal stuff. And So I, I like it. And then when I was in private practice, I think because people know me, <laughs> Most of my work was coming from um, people who refer to me, um, so colleagues, and because they know me, they kind of knew that I'm someone who's quite good with that particular type of person. And so I ended up having a lot of them on my caseload. And then because I had a lot of them, I actually approached Wendy Berry in the States who, she developed schema therapy for narcissism with Jeff Young she wrote the book, Disarming the Narcissist, which is a really good book for people in your kind of situation. Um, So the person who's in a relationship with a narcissist who's being hurt by them. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I basically called her and said, look, can you mentor and supervise me? And she's like, yeah. So uh, several years later, here I am. That's incredible. So let me ask you this. So
0: when a narcissist comes into you for treatment, are they usually self-aware or are you the one that's diagnosing them or is it like a 50-50 type thing?
1: <clears throat> they're, they're usually self-aware. They may not be calling it narcissism, but they um, are usually aware that there's an issue on their side or they wouldn't be showing up. Like, So what kind of issues are they coming to you for, like grandiosity um, or something like that? You know, there's all kinds of reasons they come to me. So sometimes it's grandiosity. Sometimes it's lots of cheating. Sometimes it's it's a real inability to sustain a relationship. Sometimes they're coming because their partner's kind of threatening to leave them or they're in serious trouble at work. Um, so that's not unusual. But increasingly, I think because I have a little bit more of a social media presence now, um, I get people coming to me directly. And they're actually saying, I think I'm a narcissist. I struggle with these issues. Sometimes they're saying, I, I kind of secretly think of myself as superior to other people, and I have these fantasies that I'm going to be this incredible super superstar. But underneath, I feel shitty. I feel really shitty about myself.
0: I mean, I'm sure even for the ones who aren't like you know the social don't have social media presence like the Jacobs and Tesses of the world who I've had on this podcast. I'm sure they come in here and they probably have some sort of grandiosity that they're trying to obtain, but. I can imagine like trying to like self-importance and trying to inflate their own egos and stuff like that. But do they come to you in, a, a, I'm sure nobody really does anybody really come to you when they're not in like dire straits or are they, it's some, it's, it's, it's you know, some sort of effect, mm-hmm. life, right? You know,
1: people do come to me not in dire straits mm-hmm. actually. Um, it, it's kind of interesting. I have some people who've come, they've had other therapists. They've kind of been through therapy before. Which is makes my life a lot easier, actually, because <laughs> yeah. they have some positive experience. And sometimes they've said, you know what, I've realized I have these narcissistic tendencies and I really think I could use some help with it. And that's not that unusual. I, I struggle so hard to think about a narcissist
0: like taking responsibility or owning their flaws. Because I know my personal narcissist... You know, she sees nothing wrong with her behavior. You know what I mean? She's justified in every way, shape, and form, no matter the damage she causes to her or the people around her or her own children. So yeah. saying that they come in, like, with this sort of predisposition to knowing their faults is just odd
1: to me. I don't get it. It's, you know, I think it's probably also fair to say that the these are the unicorns, potentially. I don't think this is... Have any, <laughs> any stretch of the imagination these are the best narcissists <laughs> you know I, I think that's certainly i think what you're saying is true actually that that because of my social media presence because i'm out there mm-hmm. i think there are people who are like mm, there is a safe therapist to talk to about my narcissism right. because if you were a narcissist and you went on social media would you think oh Mental health professionals, there's a friendly bunch to talk to, you know, because there are mental health professionals on social media putting out a very stigmatizing message about narcissism and about narcissistic personality disorder. And it is a disorder where people do cause incredible harm to people they're in relationship with. But it's also a disorder where people um, are suffering a great deal. And as far as I'm concerned, if I'm able to help people with that suffering it's probably going to be, one, good for them, but probably also good for other people in their lives.
0: So what is the goal of the narcissist coming to see you?
1: Well, look, people have different goals, right? So for some, it's, I don't want to lose my partner. Um, For others, it's, they're going through a period of crisis in their life. They're going through depression, anxiety, and they just want to treat the depression and anxiety. For others, they will say, I want to change something fundamental about the way I relate to people. I want to feel differently about myself. Wow. Wow. I mean,
0: it's just so foreign to me, like this, this idea of bettering themselves. I mean, maybe I'm just so used to my own personal narcissist that I can't imagine them trying to better themselves, but, um, is the, the motivating factor has to be Pain, right like because they always say okay. yeah right like there's yeah. some sort of uncomfortability in their lives where they're saying you know i can't take this anymore something has to change and you know it's just like anything else right like pain is usually the uh prerequisite to change
1: yeah and that's probably true of anyone mm-hmm. yeah oh yeah sure okay. right if you're that's not right if that's you not unique problems, to stuff like that right yeah yeah, yeah.
0: So when a narcissist comes in, so this is something that I've been wanting to ask you ever since we, we got started, you know, talking. When a narcissist comes in and they sit down and whether you know they're a narcissist or not, eventually you figure it out, right? Is there any, like, intimidation factors that they have with you? Do you ever, like, you know, do they ever think that they know more than you? Do they ever? Oh, gosh, yeah. Yeah? Tell us about that a little bit. <laughs>
1: You know, look, it's really look, it's very variable and I don't want to stereotype, but it's certainly you know, people who are very high in narcissism. <laughs> I've certainly seen people, they've they know the model better than I do. They know they've read all the books. They've read all the books that I've read. But right. you're
0: studying it, uh, they are it, <laughs> you know.
1: And you know, they're often very keen to impress me as a therapist. They want to they you know, they and they they want the therapist who's an expert in narcissism, or they, well, sometimes it's interesting. I think as well. I think sometimes there's a bit of idealizing initially. Uh-huh. You're the best therapist. You're the therapist who gets me, and I'm, I'm always say, you know, love bombing. <laughs> I'm, I know I'm a good therapist. That is true, and I'm not going to deny that. But I'm also an ordinary therapist. Okay. And at some point, I'm going to piss you off. I'm going to do something, and you're going to pissed off with me. You're going to think I'm the shittiest therapist in the entire world and it's not gonna take that long it's not gonna take that long to happen and then what happens and, when they do that usually happens quickly it usually happens there's a rupture at some point so in the therapy sure. you challenge them oh yeah yeah you, you know there has to be a degree of accountability mm-hmm. you know there's it's not a it's not provocative I mean I think there's a sort of I've seen I've seen people who shall remain nameless on social media Say therapists for narciss therapy for narcissism is all about teaching them how to be empathic. You can't teach someone how to be empathic. Mm. You know what? What you know? It's 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 a very when when therapy for a narcissist, and I, I don't even like the term narcissist because I think it's such a stereotype term. But therapy for someone who's struggling with those kind of issues, you're actually really trying to help them tap into their vulnerability. So it is. You do, I think, have to be warm as a therapist and you have to have a sort of softness about you to allow them to feel comfortable. But at the same time, you also have to be very sturdy and comfortable in your own skin. And when they get very critical of you, for example, you have to not be wavering at that. You know, my supervisor in one of her training videos does this incredible role play with a colleague where the colleague basically comes in and is like, everything is wrong your office is in the wrong location the parking is terrible um now i'm late for the session um, you should <laughs> you should you know pay me back for the time that i've missed because i'm late oh my God. um i couldn't get off work and that's not my fault and they kind of blow up and you can see i think so often therapists we are generally we're people pleasers mm-hmm. we like to be liked mm-hmm. Uh, We like to be appreciated, like everyone does. But I think therapists as a group of people tend to be quite agreeable. That does not serve you well with this population. If you're like, okay, well, I'll change my times to accommodate you and I'll go around you. You actually do have to be quite sturdy and strong. I would think you have to let them
0: believe that they're in control.
1: Oh, not in my therapy room, no.
0: Well, I don't know. You're you're the expert, not me. But I would just think that a narcissist, I could see how they would be agreeable because, you know, they want you to like them. And, you know, if you say something, they'll mirror you and that sort of thing. But I can see the moment that they're challenged or something like that, uh, Mm -hmm. them trying to prove that they're right.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. I could see that. And and then I I wouldn't be like, well, no. I'm right, you're wrong, but I'll stay sturdy in my own skin and say, and, and I'll give me an example. I don't know, the person who's late, they're half an hour late for therapy and they want me to extend the session. Mm-hmm. And I would say, you know, I, I get that you're late and it wasn't your fault you were late. These things do happen, mm-hmm. but I also have my time. And if I extend your time, that means I'm going to be late for the next person. And that's not fair on them. How do they take that? That varies. And actually, some people, I think, quite like that I'm not shaken by it. They mm-hmm. need to see that actually you're strong enough to say no to them. It you know just kind of reminds
0: me of who's, that, uh, who's the dog whisperer. You remember these are Milan guy where he takes his two fingers and he like stabs the dog. He's like, st- you like gets the dog under control. This is kind of how it feels like with a narcissist. You got to Like it It almost makes you make it sound like they're not going to win.
1: Like, they, they, you know, I don't see it as you're not going to win and I'm going to win over you. That's you no, know, we have to work together and I can actually be empathic. Cause when you, you know, when you come into my office and I can only give you, half the time you're paying me for Mm. you must feel so deprived right you feel deprived and you feel let down and you feel abandoned and you feel like you're not special enough to me and that what is that about where does that come from what is that triggering for you because when that gets triggered here there's something else going on underneath that that's your old old traumas from childhood making you feel like you're not important enough to me
0: Oh wow Wow I'm speechless yeah I mean like I'm almost like feeling like we should role play but I'm not a narcissist so I can't get into their heads but like we
1: can role play
0: (laughs) like I'm just sitting here like being like well you know do they think like they're entitled to their full hour because they paid for it even though they're late or um you know do you care about the next client more than them or are they boring to you so maybe you don't want to talk to them I don't know there's like all these there's this range of possibilities of what
1: that core value would be to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, up. but it's about actually trying to get underneath what is the what is the core pain that's causing them to react in such a demanding,
0: entitled way. Is there a generalized statement you can give us about that? I mean, what is like, like a common like... worker?
1: So, you know, if you understand the kind of history of most people who fall in this category of narcissists, they've usually experienced Quite extreme emotional neglect they haven't had those early needs met mm. and they often have a sense of deep-rooted shame and defectiveness and the only way for them to feel accepted is to be extraordinary in some way mm. you know so you see that when you interview Jacob and Tess mm. they're pretty honest that they want to be you know Jacob wants to be admired mm-hmm. Tess wants to be famous. Mm -hmm. You know, they're really clear about that. That's inside. And I don't, you know, I don't know Jacob and Tess's histories, Mm -hmm. and I'm not their therapist, so I wouldn't want to speculate what's behind that. But what I imagine is probably behind that for anyone who's showing that is a sense of, I'm not good enough just to be ordinary. Okay. I have to be special because if I'm not special, I'm
0: nobody. That makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. But I'm going to pose to you the same question I posed to them, and they kind of. It's not that they didn't answer it, but, you know, they have a range of reasons. But the same question I'll pose to them is the same question I'm going to pose to you. At what point does that turn sinister? At what point does that turn them against the quote unquote victim?
1: Well, it turns sinister when that need for admiration or praise or recognition is at the expense of other people. I'm not sure I understand so if if you have to you know there's a set, there's an interesting concept that I think is completely lost, which is the concept of healthy narcissism mm-hmm. i mean that that was in the early psychological literature in narcissism everyone's forgotten about it, but it's the idea that we all have a human need to feel special to feel competent to feel like we have agency in the world right and at its best at at the but the best form of narcissism, the ability to see yourself in a positive light, but rose-tinted glasses, mm-hmm. okay, gives you a sense of agency. It gives you a sense of ambition. It makes you think, well, yeah, I could accomplish something amazing. Okay. Was there some element of that healthy narcissism for you, for example, in starting your podcast? Let me start a podcast. Let me tell my story. Let me share myself with the world. Let me do something good. That in its best is a form of leadership it brings other people up it's quite inspirational those those are the good aspects of narcissism where would we be without that in the world the internet would be boring (laughs) 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 there would be no entertainment industry no hollywood (laughs) no i know
0: i i see what you're saying and it's funny i'm not sure if it was to quote the brilliant lady gaga i think i saw this video the other day where lady gaga was saying um You know, I love when people come up to me and say, oh, I love your album or I love your music or whatever it is. And she's like, yeah, I love that. And it's not because of the fame, but it's because I worked so hard on it that I know it's great. I know it's great because I put all this effort into it. And when somebody comes up to me, is like, oh, my God, you're amazing. She's like, yes, I am amazing because I put so much work into it. And I was listening to this and I'm like, this doesn't sound like narcissism to me. Like there's a there's a fine line between narcissism and pride, Right.
1: But there's a healthy sense of pride. Yeah, sure, life. sure. And it's it's one of the most beautiful things, actually, when I do work with narcissists and they'll start telling me about something they're genuinely good at. Mm. Like they're genuinely good at their careers. or They they have started a, an amazing business. And sometimes it's a bit of boasting and eh, admire me, admire me. Right, right, right. And I'll often say, can't yeah, think about that. But what do you feel? No, really, what do you feel when you tell me that? What do you, you know... And sometimes when they're in that kind of more hurtful mode, like, well, I'm better than everyone else. Like screw the rest of them. Look at me. You know, and that's the that that's the harmful side of it because it's really it's putting other people down. It's being superior in relation to other people. There's a social comparison there of I'm better than them. Yeah. Which very quickly means if you are not doing so well, if you face frustrations or troubles, which anyone doing anything ambitious is gonna face. Mm-hmm. Well, at some point you're going to feel that you were much less than all of those other people. So then also, okay. So, so, so unstable. Narcissistic self-esteem is really unstable.
0: Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Right. I'm sure it, it peaks and valleys like crazy, but um, I'm just thinking, cause so you said that uh, it turns sinister when it comes at the expense of someone else. So if someone's not giving them that validation or if someone's not, you know, like going back to the love languages or something, right? If it's like somebody's not giving them constant, endless stream of words of affirmation or something like that, that's going to make them retaliate or what's the right wording for that?
1: I don't even think it's so per- as personal as that in the sense of, I don't think it's like, this person's not giving me praise. It's actually, it's often other factors too. It's like, I've failed at work at something. I feel shitty about myself. I feel really inferior to everyone else. And then when I go home and I see my partner and he or she is tired Mm -hmm. or grumpy or just being ordinary, I take it out on them. Yeah. Or or you go home and you think, I'm struggling with this, and therefore I am a shit. I am nobody. I'm inferior and my partner's going to be judging me and thinking badly of me. So I'm going to go in and start defending myself mm-hmm. before they attack me. Yeah. I mean, the level of defensiveness is, is extreme behind some of these behaviors. Yeah. Like I just said, and it's because they feel like they're going to be attacked.
0: Yeah. Like, I'm just thinking like you, like I was just saying, like there's, there's definitely peaks and valleys, but it sounds like if they don't stay at the peak, <laughs> If that peak doesn't last long enough, that high doesn't last long enough, they like dread the valley, you know, and like angry about that valley that's coming up.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Wow. I mean, this is funny. So as you say this, I have just like a realm of things just going through my brain that my ex would do, you know, like, for example, there was a student um, in the town who had cancer and she had known about this student and helped her raise money for cancer awareness and then they, like, donated a whole bunch of money to the Cancer Foundation. And then when that was over, you know, like, I was like, wow, that was, like, a really good deed or whatever. And then when that, when that was over, um, like, this sucks and this sucks and my job sucks. And, th- and like, and I was like, you just had, like, a great occurrence raising all this money. And, like, now I take a step back and I was like, well, was that just for adoration? You know what I mean? I don't know. Maybe that doesn't even apply. I don't know. Like I just the wheels are turning as you're saying this kind of stuff.
1: Yeah. Well well I think, you know, the thing is is that I often think that that kind of narcissistic behavior that, that you may be describing that complaining and nothing's ever good enough, particularly when it also goes in the attack, you know, and the criticism and gets turned on you. It's often armor against threat. It's I feel so shitty and so vulnerable and I think there is no way you could love me for just being me. So if you see my vulnerability, you are going to see that I am an inferior, nobody, de facto, worthless piece of shit. So I am going to go all out on the defensive. So you don't see that and I don't face your judgment. So when they have this grandiosity, then
0: and, you know, they they think they're like, I just gave this, you know, story about her raising money for cancer or whatever. So she raises the money, but then when she comes, like, so that's her high. But then when she comes down back to earth, it, that's when it turns like, you know, she realizes she's a common person and then she'll, she's already mad that she's the common person. So like
1: she gets lashes out at me. Yeah, potentially. Wow. I mean, I don't know because I don't oh, know her don't... and I don't know the patterns that you were in, but that's that I mean. would not be, that would not surprise me if that's what was going on.
0: I've never thought about it that way. You really got the wheels turning. I don't know if it's coming across on video, but I'm like looking around. It's like I got these images coming back in my brain. It's it's crazy. It's crazy. There's it's it's such like an onion that we like peel apart all the time, and that's why I love that you're here. Yeah. You're giving us you're giving us insight into it. So, when it comes to therapy for the narcissist, um, what are some of the techniques that you use in terms of helping a narcissist? Well,
1: depends on how how in depth they'll let me go because remember their defenses are going to be up with me too Mm -hmm. but i would really want to understand what are the underlying experiences that have led you to develop this i also understand some of i suppose what you're calling layers rightly they are layers as modes modes of being okay so one really common mode of being for a narcissistic person is that overcompensating grandiosity Underneath, I feel vulnerable, neglected, abandoned, alone. And so, my way to not be that, to protect this little vulnerable core inner child, is which you don't, you will rarely see, is to be the grandiose person, to be the achiever, to be the extraordinary one, to be the singer, the performer, the. Just be noticed charity yes to be noticed the person who raises all this money for charity the successful business person the the famous one the beautiful one yeah right because uh, that's how i get love is through performance it's an image it's not because i'm just a lovable person just as i am it's through achievement and performance
0: yeah but it's an image that they got to keep up and even jacob even it's admitted nice. to that jacob really admitted to that he's mm. like you know if i He's like, if I show you any, you know, flaws in my armor, he's like, it's devastating to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, go ahead. I'm
1: sorry. Say something? Yeah. So, but that's one mode. But then there's other modes that where you get that kind of very angry. Pro- I often call it the angry protector, which can also sometimes become very bullying. It's like, I, I need to protect this vulnerable part of me to not let you see it. And so I'm going to attack you to keep your away. So you don't see
0: it. Well, is it because they don't have the energy or something to put into that image? So they just want you to, like, see them as that, like, superior being without
1: putting in the... No, that is them absolutely terrified that you're going to see their vulnerability and see them as weak. What's the big deal? (laughs) Well, to them, that would be contemptible. An instant rejection. And of course, the irony of all of this is nothing is going to lead to you being rejected right and this really cruel nasty mode right
0: i know so i'm sitting here going like who gives a shit like who gives a shit if you go to the grocery store in your pajamas instead of putting on like a you know ball gown like doing full makeup to go buy a gallon of milk you know what i mean just go you know go in your sweatpants but like, there's just this image that they have to keep up, and I wish we can let them know that we don't really care. <laughs> we
1: don't care. Yeah. It's it's the the vulnerable part that's the most lovable. Yeah, it's the part that you could connect with. I just wish yes. And they showed yeah. us that. They showed us that, especially in the beginning. From, or, or was there a performance to that? You rarely yeah, see I it. No, you rarely see it's it. Stuff to it's the tough. the other modes as well, are sometimes which you, I think you do sometimes see at the beginning is a more kind of detached self-soothing mode. Yeah. I'm just going to detach. There is a kind of grandiosity in some of the more, what's called love bombing behavior. Uh-huh. The kind of, I'm going to be in, remember one of the diagnostic criteria is fantasies of ideal love. Yeah. You know, that is them so excited. So this is going to be, the, this is going to be the great romance that changes my life forever. This is going to be my ideal partner. This is going to be me at my best. We're going to have this, spectacular relationship
0: yeah but what's the alternative right like so i you know i'm on these dating sites and stuff and like you see people in their profiles be like oh i'm looking for my prince charming right like what is the alternative i think everybody has that disney fairy tale you know
1: ordinary yeah like a slow burn right now it's also ordinary it's also loving someone who is ordinary who has flaws who has vulnerabilities who has sensitivities Who can be honest about those? Who can tell you what they need in a relationship?
0: Yeah. Oof. It sounds so easy. (laughs) No, it's not. I know, my God. Well it's not. So okay, so here's a follow-up question. So what can they what can you do as a clinical psychologist to help them to connect with their partner?
1: Well, so first of all, what they really need to do is they need to connect with their vulnerable child, they need to, you know, and I've seen narcissists um, on social media, I th- think, might have been, I don't know if you've heard of Cluster B milkshake. Yes, I have. Sarah, so she said, I, or it was either her or Tess, and I can't remember which. I don't have an inner child. I have a dead inner child. Oof. Yeah, and, and it it is hard. It's, it's cruel, you know? It's like they really can't connect with that most vulnerable side of them. So it's actually really helping them to understand the trauma and I use lots of imagery work so I will actually have them visualize those childhood memories Mm -hmm. and I will go into those memories and begin to change some of them which might be that I will actually sit with that little child in memory and hold them
0: you're you're stirring up some emotions in me so early on Before I ever started this podcast, but I was connecting with people on Instagram and stuff. And then, you know, later on, I started the podcast. But before I ever started this podcast, there was a person who was talking to me about the inner child thing. And I was so fresh out of my thing. It was only a couple of weeks, maybe months, maybe. Mm. And they said, I was like, explain this inner child thing to me because I'm completely in the dark. Right. And they said, "Okay," because they said that they came out of therapy and the therapist was telling them about the inner child. And I remember they said, picture your inner child. I haven't thought about this in months. Picture your inner child at the end of your bed and you're sitting in your bed. go sit in your bed and picture your inner child at the end of your bed as you're sitting there. And what would you say to that kid if he was crying, if that was you? And I was like, that's deep, man. And then I, you know, I was just kind of talking myself through it. And, you know, I I have attachment issues and stuff like that. So, yeah, I was like, and I remember just weeping when I really thought about that whole inner child thing. What would you say to younger you, you know?
1: Now you know what most narcissists would say to the younger them sitting on the end of their bed? What? Shut the fuck up and go away. Wow. They don't have time for that part. of That's the that. so... tragedy. And what you're kind of doing in therapy wow. is I have to get, I also really have to confront those coping modes. You know, I will say to them, you know, I'm seeing all this anger and this aggression. And it's intimidating to be on the receiving end of And it's painful, and I know that that part of you is working so hard to protect you because you feel inferior or you feel vulnerable Mm -hmm. because of this thing that's going on. And that is so painful to you, and that's why this mode is here, but I, this mode is not helping you. He's trying to help you. He's trying his hardest to defend you, but you are not at risk right now and I really want to connect with little you. I want you to start to not punch the living daylight, daylight out of that little you who's suffering. I'm not going to... I'm going to be his champion. I am not going anywhere. I'm not abandoning him. How do they nor- And I'm not going to let that. you abandon him.
0: How do they normally take to that?
1: Um, it varies. Yeah, I'm sure. You no, know, it varies. And not... I'm not saying I get there with every person with narcissistic tendencies who comes through my door. I I don't even think how deep I can go is very variable. But when you are able to connect with someone like that, it's incredibly rewarding work.
0: Yeah. I mean, you're moving me right now. I'll tell you that. You know. Yeah.
1: And you see these big, tough guys, not all of the narcissists I work with are men, but the majority are, and they cry. Yeah. You know, they do
0: something. It's it's quite something. Yeah, you're making me emotional now just thinking about it. Mm. So you're saying that once they connect with their inner child, then they can move on to connecting with their partner? Like once they understand.
1: Yeah, so what, what I'm really wanting them to do is I'm also saying, I want you to learn to become that good parent to yourself. I want you to become that person. So at the beginning of therapy, it's me going in and doing that kind of holding the inner child because they're not going to do it but over time i want them to learn how to do it wow and it's then when it's only when they've got enough healthy adults that is the part of them that could potentially have a relationship with another person that would be a healthy reciprocal good relationship
0: you know like as you're saying this i'm thinking like as a healthy parent to themselves this would help them kind of check themselves when they get out. of. Well,
1: yeah, because they're healthy parents.
0: When their child is throwing that tantrum, they can get to the root of that and be like, well, why is this kid? Am I hungry? Am I angry? Am I lonely? You know, what is it that I'm, what is stemming this,
1: you know? Yeah. And they can also hold boundaries with those other more tricky parts of themselves and say, no, I don't want you flying off in a rage. Yeah. I don't need you to fly off in a rage because guess what? I'm here and I'm a grown up and I can handle this. Right. I'm going to handle this. Wow. Or I don't need you to go off and obliterate yourself using alcohol or drugs, numbing age, or sex Mm -hmm. or porn. And there's nothing wrong with sex or porn. I'm not, you know, I don't want to say that, but, you know, it's when those things are used to numb and to shut off from emotions that they're not not helping you, they're not serving you. And it's like, I don't need to do that because I actually can tolerate these very painful feelings. I can comfort myself. I can console myself. And I think so much of what I do, if you look at any of my social media stuff, I'm just like compassion, compassion, compassion because you're not going to get anywhere with a narcissist without compassion. But the same is true. And I'm also aware, Mac, that most of your listeners are not narcissists. And they're probably listening to this, getting quite triggered. Uh, I am.
0: Mm, I, in what way? Uh, I just feel like, you know, they always say you gotta, you gotta, you gotta feel it to heal it, right? Yeah. And being the, in what I consider a, a very empathetic person, um, you know, we all have our traumas, whether they were childhood traumas or adult traumas or whatever they are, and I can empathize with the narcissist with that little kid sitting on the end of the bed that wants that kid to heal. But like you were just saying, like they kind of mask it up and they move on with their lives and they never heal it. And then it ends up, you know, leaking out in their relationships.
1: Yeah. Well, you're in a relationship not with the healthy grown up or even the inner child. You're in a relationship probably with the grandiose one or the angry defensive one. Well, or maybe the detached numbing one. Right. Well, I'm still healing, personally speaking. I'm still in healing. So, uh, you know, yeah, no, I do want to be really clear because sometimes people hear me and they think, well, what are you saying? I should stay with this person? No, no. I'm I can work with narcissists. I can certainly be helpful to someone if they want to come through my door and do that work. But that doesn't mean the person you're in a relationship with is going to do that. Even if they will do that, it doesn't mean that you can realistically build a healthy relationship with them now. If there's been a lot of abuse and hurts, it doesn't mean you're obligated to, even if there was potential, that doesn't mean you have to. Well, you should choose what's in your best interest.
0: Yeah, this might be a good segue um, because we've been talking for 40 minutes and this might be a good segue because you did just say, you know, most of my listeners are not necessarily narcissists, but they're the ones in healing like me. Mm. So let's shift gears a little bit if we can, if you don't mind. Um, What is some of the treatment that you give for healing from narcissistic abuse?
1: Well, you know, it's not necessarily all that different. Okay, so... What I kind of want to understand as well is, you know, particularly if someone's had multiple relationships with a narcissist, there's often stuff going on for them. There's some underlying, what is that attraction to this person? Who yeah, seems so A control. lot of times. Say again? Abandonment issues a lot of times. yeah, Abandonment. There's a lot of, uh, I think, you see that. And that early courtship phase of a relationship, narcissists are good at that because they get to be special. They get to dress up. Wow. They get to impress. Yeah. You know, and and the early stage, there is a natural idealization at the early stage of any relationship. The, you know, anyone who's in a new relationship, it's exciting. It's fun. Everyone's a little bit rose into glasses. You know, it's easy to get swept off your feet with that. Mm. Um but it's when it then be when when it's it's that adjustment to being ordinary, when you realise, yeah, this person isn't perfect.
0: When the honeymoon phase is over.
1: When the honeymoon phase is over and you start to see that actually they're a bit grumpy in the mornings. Yeah. And they're a bit disorganized. And they're often a bit late for things.
0: And you express yourself uh- over it and then You don't see them with those rose-colored glasses. They know you don't see them with those rose-colored glasses. And that's
1: when you are... Yeah, because they're no longer idealized. They're no longer Mr. or Miss Perfect. And so the reaction can be swift and and angry.
0: Yeah. So how do you teach people to... um, I don't want to say tolerate, coexist sounds wrong. How do you
1: teach people to navigate... Yes. Well, I am much more... What I'll say is we've always got to start with your relationship with yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, I want you to be able to look after your inner child. Mm -hmm. I want you to be your biggest advocate. I want you to really see the suffering that you've been through and be absolutely committed to your well-being, to your happiness. Mm -hmm. And when that's where you are, when you really are... I care about myself deeply I'm really committed to myself and you tap into those parts of you that are strong and genuinely love yourself let that part of you make the decision about whether or not to stay in this relationship whether or not to work things through and also let that part of you steer the future relationship because what I'll also say to people is there will be other parts of you. You have coping modes. We all have coping modes, right? Mm -hmm. So, we can all find that certain coping modes come out in relation to highly narcissistic people. One of mine, my natural inclination, is to be accommodating and to be um, flexible. That is going to lead me to be taken advantage of. It's going to lead to resentment. It's going to lead to exhaustion. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be good. I've I've got to recognize that's a mode I'm in and that's not a good mode for me to be in. And I'll even say that to the ones I know well who know me. I'll say, you know, I, I know I have a tendency to want to please people and I want to be accommodating, right? But I've also got to be aware that if I do that too much, I'm going to get exhausted and I'm going to be resentful and I don't want to bring that into our relationship. Would you call that people pleasing? Yeah, people pleasing. Yeah. Yeah. So that's one mode. Other times people will find they actually get really angry. And they become defensive, angry, and on the attack. Yeah. Right? And I'm like, that part of you will not serve you. It will will not serve you in court. (laughs) Of course, It will not serve you co-parenting if you have to navigate that so how do you the other person may not change but how do you stay in your very healthy sturdy compassionate grown-up mode
0: i know personally speaking like i got into survival mode too much you know yeah i got in my and- mode and it was just like yeah. how do i get to the end of the day you know and yeah. um psh- it's it's a grind most times it's a grind and you end up losing your patience and you end up screaming or yelling or whatever but um i'm trying to to understand how i could have applied that in my life because
1: i couldn't get out of survival mode it's very hard to get out of survival mode when you're in the relationship and in the thick of it well yeah if the other person's behavior you know there is a difference when i'm working with nurse and i work with couples where there's some narcissism they're not but they're not abusing their partner what do you mean they may be assholes on occasions what's but when i work with when you say they're
0: not abusing them right like if somebody Mm -hmm. comes to you for couples counseling and you say they're not abusing them well they're coming in there because one side obviously thinks they're getting
1: the short end of the stick don't they they usually both think they're getting sorted. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but, well, no, sometimes there's a recognition that there. it really varies. And I think partly because I do so much in social media, I do get the more self-aware, tame end of things where people are really open, um, which is a real privilege in lots of ways. So I don't want anyone thinking this could work with my partner. You know, you have to take each individual case as it comes. But, you know, now I've lost my... St- My thread. I'm saying,
0: I was saying, you know, to people, you know, one side comes in thinking they're getting the short end of the stick. Do either of them like, are they willing to come to a common ground? I know I could never come to a common ground in my marriage counseling, but there was also a lot of triangulation going on. But
1: well, what I would say is I want both of you to work on developing your own healthy, strong adult for yourself. Right. And then we can think about how your healthy adults can both. Not only take care of you, but also, in an appropriate way, take care of your partner. How you can be sensitive to each other, and it's got to be reciprocal. That can't be, you know, you can't become your partner's dad or mom. Yeah, I mean, every every quote unquote empath right now is is
0: putting their hands in their head. I mean, proverbially, I'm sitting here going like, that's what I fucking want.
1: That's what I wanted. Why didn't they want it too? But, 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 there may be a part of you that really wants that. But if it's not possible, if it's not reciprocated, right? Or there's not even a willingness to reciprocate. Nobody does this perfectly in any relationship. Even two very psychologically healthy people will not do this perfectly all the time, right? But if that isn't there, then there comes a point where you have to say, okay, Mac, you've got this side of you that really wants to please and you want to be helpful and... You're working so, so hard for this other person. Why? Why is that? What is that drive? Is it because you don't think you're lovable otherwise? No. Is it because you don't think someone will be there for you?
0: No. It's because I... something else is possible? No. For me, personally speaking, and I can only speak personally, but for me, it was like, I really thought I loved this person. I really thought I loved this person And I saw a future with them. I saw grandkids with them. I thought "Mm -hmm." with them for the rest of my life. And how are we going to take these baby steps now to get to you know when we're old, you know? And I can remember a technique that I learned. I don't know if you're familiar with the Imago technique. I uh, Mm remember in my marriage counseling, you know, essentially. And forgive me if I butcher this, but it was basically like you know, repeat back to them what they say to you you know, repeat back to them how they made you feel and then what they want you to do. Am I right? Sort of. I'm not
1: that familiar with the specifics.
0: So the point is is that I would do that. She would say something to me. This is called the Imago technique and I would I would be in marriage counseling and she would say something and I would repeat right back to her verbatim what she would say and she like, that's not what I said. I'm like, fucker." And then you're just getting annoyed trying to, you know, explain yeah. what they said. It was just like, there was no, you know, I felt like I was going, you know, 20 miles for them, and they were going five
1: feet for me. You know, something like that is lovely if you've got two healthy adults. Right. Who are saying, these are my dreams, these are my wishes, these are my desires, these are my hopes for the future, and you're saying, let me understand those, let me share mine with you, and... Let's also understand each other's sensitivities and how can we be respectful and accommodating to each other? And there are going to be times we get irritated. How are we going to work through that? Yeah, that works when you have two healthy adults. That does not work when someone is in an angry defensive mode. It does not work when someone is shut down and detached. It does not work when someone is grandiose. You know, you just
0: said something pretty poignant. And actually, I was talking to a friend on the phone this afternoon who has said something similar to what I'm about to say is like, I get triggered now where, um, you know, I felt attacked so often in my relationship that now, um, you know, you could be like, I don't know, you have a sweat stain on your shirt or something. And I'll be like, is this this guy like picking on me? Am I too sweaty? Am I too fat? Like, so now like I go down this weird rabbit hole of like super defensive mode
1: about like little Mm -hmm. things. Is there a way to get out of that? No, well, breath knows you're in it. Okay, so first of all, you say, Whoa, hang on, I'm in my defensive mode. What is that? Well, actually, I'm in defensive mode because I've got this voice in my head that's saying, You're too fat. You've got sweat stains. There's something wrong with you. You know, look at you. You're inferior. Yeah. Oh, you haven't been good enough. Okay, where's that from? Is that only from your ex? Does that echo previous? Does that echo parents? Does it echo teachers? Does it echo cultural messages? Are those things all conflating together? And okay, where's the healthy you? Where's that healthy grown-up you to say, "Hey, Mac, you're fine." Is this retarded? You're fine. No. <laughs> you're
0: fine. Yeah, no, you're good. It was weird. I, I like, I grew up, you know, um, with a lot of self-doubt, and then uh, I, when I reached like my mid-twenties, I kind of found confidence and then i got into this relationship and i lost it again so um now i'm kind of out of it again or in it i don't know i don't know but i I feel like i'm rambling but yeah no i I understand what you're saying it's like you really gotta get to the core of where these thoughts stem from
1: yeah
0: and that's something i'm going to be super cognizant of now after this episode
1: yeah. But it's also getting to the core of it, but looking at it through a lens of compassion, looking at it as your healthy grown-up. So it's not, what the hell is wrong with you? Yeah. We all have that. <laughs> you know, <or laughs> I, when I work with people, so like, let's really work on developing self-compassion. You can almost guarantee, I can almost just like, here we go, and we've done one week of self-compassion, so next week, the first thing you're going to say is, I'm really shit at this. <laughs> i'm crap at self-compassion i'm the worst person in the entire world at being compassionate to myself Mm -hmm. yeah and then it's like doing that yeah unless it's a narcissist in which case it's like i think i did a great job of being (laughs) self-compassionate yeah well that was i'm the best that was a lot of what jacob
0: said to me jacob said like you know um he's like you know in your he's like Taking me at face value is like, you know, I'm sure you did love your ex, but she just couldn't receive it, you know and uh now i'm give I'm giving myself a lot more compassion than I did when I was in the relationship because uh starting this podcast to be to me, it was like I felt lower than everybody in the world because I thought I had a unidentifiable issue on my hands. I didn't realize I was in a narcissically abusive relationship. I thought it was the only one in the world. So I felt below people. And now I feel like I'm even with people, you know, because I've gotten this audience of people who are on my level and everybody can identify. And it's like, shit, no, I'm not the
1: only one. And actually, it's so textbook. You know what I mean? We're all um, When right, Let me ask you this and sh- tell me if this is too much in depth, but when you think about what you've achieved, yeah, setting up a podcast, building this community around your podcast, people being interested in what you have to say. yeah, Putting people in touch with, you know, you're contributing to a shift in the conversation about narcissism with your willingness to engage with people like Jacob and Tess and, and even me. What do you feel?
0: I don't feel, I don't believe that's true. I think I'm just a guy with a microphone who is just blabbering on and I think people are identifying it but I don't really think I'm creating any shift or anything. I, I mean, it'd be great if I did. I just I just want everybody to not feel the way that I felt at three o'clock in the morning when I'm staring mm-hmm. at the ceiling and my ex has got her back to me, sound asleep, not thinking about anything. And I'm just sitting there going, what the fuck is going on in my life? You I was so alone. Was so, so abandoned. So alone. And I just want everybody who's in that feeling, anybody who listens to this, I just want them to know like, no, we all get it. There is light at the end of the tunnel and uh Yeah, you're not alone. So when you say like I'm creating a shift in things,
1: I don't really Okay, fine. Let's put it a different way then. Okay. When you think there are people listening to your podcast knowing I'm not alone. How does that feel?
0: I hope they had the courage to get out.
1: Mm-hmm. no, but I didn't say what, like, you what for that. me What do you feel?
0: Uh I mean it's fulfilling. I'm not going to lie to you, but I don't think that's narcissistic. You
1: know, no, it's not. No, it's- that's how healthy, right? That's how healthy.
0: That's good. Yeah, like I, I see. You know, I have. So, like, my sponsor for the show is Anchor. You know, the platform that I do the yeah, podcast yeah. on, and I can see it's in fifty countries around the world and you know, top five percent of subscribed podcasts or something I'm like. If they only knew I'm in a one bedroom apartment right now, I'm some loser who just
1: got out of work and like I drive like a little hoop to have a car like on the mobile. I mean, no, I mean, you know really this is where identify with this. Yeah. But I think so much of the recovery is actually being able to connect with all of that. Yeah. There is a part of you that's still struggling. You're still going through one hell of a legal battle. Oh my god, yeah. You're still in some pretty crappy circumstances that are difficult to live with. You're still sore. You're still raw. And there's also another side of you that is strong and determined and empathic and incredibly generous. Thank you. Thank you. I just And you get all
0: of that. Yeah, I just you know what it is? It's like I just keep walking until the light at the end of the tunnel gets bigger. You know what I mean? I'm not gonna stop, I'm gonna yeah. lay down. I'm just gonna keep walking until the light of the tunnel gets bigger and I'm out. That's it. That's all I want. I don't want this. This is hell. I can't stay in hell. I have to get, I got to get to heaven. And I think heaven is through out and peaceful. You know what I mean? Strong boundaries for me is such a big deal. You know, you and I were talking off air about some of my personal situations and, you know, strong boundaries for me is such an important thing. And I think it's important for all of us because, you know, going back to how you were talking about the people pleasing thing, I don't think, I had very strong boundaries before and I'm learning yes. to love myself again and learning to know that if I'm never in a relationship again, I'll be okay because you know, I'll always have me, you know, and if, and if I get in a relationship and that relationship fails, well, I know I'm good on my own. You know what I
1: mean? Yeah. Yeah. And it's also, it will also be for you or for anyone who's been through this kind of very extreme and prolonged abuse experience where those boundaries have been eroded and you've, you've learned how to function on a battlefield. You have to learn how to function in peace. Yes. Thank you. And it's different. It's different. It's like I often say it's like a soldier who's been to war. Yes. We've learned how to do war, but now you need to learn how to do peace. Yeah. And and that's, I
0: mean, I hate comparing it to war, but we have PTSD. We have CPTSD. Like, oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And it's, it's funny. I'll tell you this story that I told in my podcast one time. It's like, so I, when I was still in my home, uh, I used to watch football you know, American football every Sunday and I would watch play football all day long. And then when I got out of my relationship and I couldn't watch football anymore because I was like, I felt guilty. I don't even know what the feeling was, but I couldn't watch football because I was like, why did I watch it when I was there? You know what I mean? Like I should have been playing with kids more. I should have been helping more. Should have been doing something else. I felt like when I got out of it, I didn't deserve it. But then there came one day where my aunt goes, I want you to watch the Giants game, the New York Giants game today. And she goes, I want you to do nothing." For those three hours, but what you want. And I was like, okay. She's like, what do you want to eat? And I was like, Cheez Its. She's like, go get a box of Cheez Its. What else? I'm like, pizza. She's like, get whatever you want and try and make it just to one quarter or one half time and just try and do it. And I did it. And I was like, wow, this felt good. You know what I mean? And it was weird because it was like, I don't even know. I can't identify the feeling even. It was guilt. I just couldn't do it. I couldn't watch.
1: I think I, you know. I love. I'll give you. I'll give you this. I got this right from Wendy Berry, huh. <laughs> and I love it because I, I. I think she's right. She'll often say, "What what you're on now, or what you're about to go on." I think you're still in it. You know what I mean with the legal stuff still going, and you are still on that battlefield. Mm-hmm. But it's it's actually discovering yourself, yes, or rediscovering yourself because you've been eroded in this relationship so much. You have to rediscover yourself, and you can start with really small things. It, it's really about the intention behind what you do more than what you do. It's not about sitting down and watching the Giants game. It's about making space for you to do something you want that's important to you. But she I love what, one of her exercises. She will say to people, I want you to go to um, like an ice cream bar. And I want you to try loads of flavors of ice cream. And I want you to really pay attention to what does it taste like? Savor it. Really try it. which one. What, what one did you think you were going to be really excited by? It was actually a bit meh. <laughs> which one were you not that excited by, but it really surprised you? Um, which one stands out to you? It's like, that really is the favorite. That's the one I want a full scoop of. And it's like, it's not about the ice cream, clearly. It's much more about making space to tune in to what you like what you want what's important to you giving it some space and then you start to take that same attitude to everything else it's very true very very true yeah and then you also get to share that potentially in a future relationship you're like i know what i like i know what i want and i also want to know what you like and you want Mm -hmm. not so i can accommodate your every whim Yeah, right, right, right. (laughs) Right. But so we can figure out together what each of our needs are. Right. which Which things we have in common, which things are totally different for each of us. And we can support each other and also give each other the space to go. And I think this is the other thing. Give each other the space to go and meet needs elsewhere to have friends outside the relationship that give you something that you can't get in the relationship because it's different.
0: I bet a lot of people that are listening to this right now go, yeah, because that was taken away from me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and it's like, you know, it's something my partner is actually really good at and I'm very grateful for. He's really good at giving me space to do the things I want to do. It's wonderful. Which is why I get to talk to you in the small hours of the morning in the UK. He's not going to, I feel guilty sometimes because I, you know he's in, he's asleep basically, and I'm, I'm on the internet talking to some strange guy in the states. But you know that's strange. <laughs> you're not that. No, you're not strange. <laughs> yeah. Well, sometimes I'm talking to Jacob. Yeah. But there's space for that. But it, it goes both ways. I give him space to do the things he likes to do. I love that. You know, and and it's it's a really I think it's a really important thing to particularly when you've been in a narcissistic relationship because they tend to be very enmeshed. Yes. They tend to not be so open to other friendships and other people sure. and other supports. Because they're afraid they're going to get replaced.
0: Yeah. 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 Dr. Ruth, we're coming to the end of the hour here, but I have one more follow-up question for you, and I hope you can answer this. What advice would you give to somebody who is seeking therapy for narcissistic abuse how can we find a therapist that specializes in narcissistic abuse
1: this is in the relationship or after the relationship either either yeah you know well first of all i would go on wendy barry's website mm-hmm. which is disarmingthenarcissist.com yeah and she has a nice list that's great of therapists that she knows personally mm-hmm. and works with i it, you know it's difficult and i'll tell you why because i think this has become a buzzword. And there's a lot of people providing therapy, coaching to survivors who often I don't think really understand narcissism. Mm-hmm. And I'm I get a bit concerned sometimes that there's a kind of aggressiveness to it. Like, get out, no contact. Yeah. And I'm like, well, sometimes that's actually Really good advice. If you're, if you've been in a a relationship and you have no ties, you have no children, why would you be in contact? Mm -hmm. No contact is the best thing. There is no healthy, sensible reason for you to have contact. But if you have children together, or if the narcissistic person in your life is a parent or a sibling or someone in your extended family, you're going to wait. Some people do go no contact in that situation and that is a perfectly valid decision to make. And there are extreme situations where it may be the only thing you can do to keep yourself safe. But I think more often people want to find a way to navigate that relationship and tolerate it. And it is invaluable to see someone who has some experience and expertise in working with narcissism. Yeah.
0: I know I added my personal... Therapist and I said, you know, I have reason to believe that I was in a narcissistically abusive relationship, and I said I also have experience with the mental health industry, and um, I haven't been validated. So I was like, I have reason to believe that I've been gaslit for very
1: long times. So you yeah. just need to know that I will be validated in what I'm saying. I think this is the double edged sword because I think what I see in the mental health industry is I see the two extremes. I see the therapists who are like, yes, your ex was an evil narcissist. Oh. They were so bad. You were the good guy. You were the good guy. Boundaries, no contact, more boundaries. You have a new girlfriend, show her the boundaries. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Not sure how effective that's going to be. But then I also see the other side where we get concerned about armchair diagnosing mm-hmm. and we'll say to someone, We get antsy, well, you can't diagnose, I can't diagnose your ex. Well, you know, it's 50-50 and everyone contributes to a failing relationship. And that's not, it it may be true to some extent that everyone contributes to a failing relationship, but you're in a very, it's not 50-50 in these relationships, right? It's not 50-50 and one person has been very, very hurt by the behaviors of the other person. So... I think a therapist who has some understanding of narcissism and those narcissistic dynamics is probably going to be far better able to help you navigate those mm-hmm. than either the therapist who's like, narcissists are evil, boundaries. Yeah. <laughs> or the therapist who's like, no armchair diagnosing, 50-50, everyone takes responsibility. You know, it, it's, it's subjective. You need to understand that you need to have an understanding well, Doctor Ruth, this has been an amazing conversation.
0: Can you let us know where we can follow you, how we can get in touch with you?
1: So you can find me, um, Doctor Ruth Ann Harper, and Harper's H A R P U R. Okay. On I'm on YouTube, I'm on Instagram, I'm on TikTok, and I have my own website. And I'm also, which might be interesting for your audience as well. I'm building at the moment um, some online groups and courses for abuse survivors, right, it is. which is really focused not so much on narcissism, but on building self-compassion after those relationships. Because I, I kind of, what I really think is helpful for the survivors of abuse is not to focus on the narcissist. They've taken too much of your attention already. The focus should be on you. That's awesome. That's great. That should be on you. So that's what I'm kind of aiming to do. So if those are not quite ready yet, but people can join the mailing list right. and I could, and information. All right. So you can follow her on Instagram. You can follow her on
0: TikTok, YouTube, and she has more things to come. Thank you so much for doing this for you, for us. I know it's really late by you. We got a big time difference here. It's past midnight by her, But uh, I really appreciate you doing this. And uh, it's been a pleasure talking with you.
1: It's been a pleasure for me too.
0: Thank you so, so much. Thank you so much. All right. Until next time, everybody.